Well, hello, Valley family, both here on Hopo Junction in Poughkeepsie. Nice to see everybody. I, uh, this is actually, my name is Jamie Farragella. I'm backfilling for uh, Pastor Greg, who is away uh, with his family. So I'm honored to be able to, to speak with you this day. So we're actually at part five in the book of James, and the theme of uh, this series is a blueprint for making faith work. A blueprint for making faith work. And so we've actually gone through four of the sermon series so far that Dr. Greg brought us uh, with trials and temptations and knowing the difference between the two, being doers of the word and not just hearers only. And then we went to, uh, Dr. Greg brought, on, uh, brought to us the destructive nature of favoritism, describing that, right, out of the book of James. And then last week we had faith works and how works is actually a result of our faith. So please, if you've missed any of those, go to our website, and we have our message series there, and you can uh, play whichever one you need to catch up with. So today, we're actually talking about taming the tongue. Taming the tongue. This is part five. Next week, Pastor Stephen Francis will be, uh, be bringing to us uh, wisdom from above. He'll be speaking on that from out of the book of James. So I, I hope you have your, your track shoes on. Uh, we have quite a bit of material to cover, and I'm going to go sort of fast, although I have my sweetheart here trying to tell me when to slow down a little bit in case I go too fast on you. All right? So with that, the bl a blueprint for making faith work and how faith works in taming our tongue. So let's take a look at James chapter 3. And we're, I'm actually going to read through verses 1 through 12. And then we're going to kind of pick that apart a little bit and then see how God uses that to speak to our hearts. Okay, James chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. What a way to start out a chapter, right? Um, and, you know, as I was preparing for this uh, message, it's just amazing how many books and articles there are about our mouth, the words we speak, and the tongue. And then James cautions us here about, you know, not many of us uh, uh, desiring to become teachers. And why might that be? Well, a teacher's words affect many people. And this is a very sobering fact that as we teach that God is going to hold us an account for every word that we speak. Very sobering. The tongue is the tool of a teacher's trade. So it makes sense that a teacher would be judged more strictly about the things that are said. Also, presumably, teachers know more than those that they teach. So those they teach are more likely to look up to them. Now that's not such a bad thing, but some teachers desire a position just for that reason, which isn't healthy. And even if they desire to become teachers for a noble cause, there's always the element of pride, right? There's a risk of pride there. So James continues here, and he says, For we all stumble in many ways. Oh gosh, how true is that? If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. 
Now, this is amazing because there is a connection that James is making for us here that talks about being a perfect man or a perfect person and the things that the person says. So, if we look at that, perfect does not mean flawless. That's not what James is describing to us here. Rather, that the, the perfection he's talking about is full of moral and spiritual growth. That's what we're looking at. So, if a man is, and we're growing, and this is age appropriate, right? We're all at different levels of, of maturity as we're following Jesus. And so that what James is saying is that we act our age, right? And as we act our age, and, and if we're saying, uh, if we're speaking age-appropriate language, we're able to actually bridle our whole body, right? So through the words that we say, we're able to keep our whole body in check, some of the translations say. So it continues on. The next slide, please. Okay. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Next. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire, or some translations say a spark, okay? And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Very strong words here. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, my brethren, he's talking to followers of Jesus, starts in readdressing us here. These things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out of the same opening both fresh and bitter water? So some rhetorical questions here. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So we see as James is going through this passage, these series of verses, He's reiterating issues about the tongue. Very eye-opening, right? It's an eye-opening perspective. And in the Bible, this is the single longest discourse about the tongue that is coupled together. There's a lot, a lot of verses and scriptures throughout the Bible about the words we use and about the things we say. And I would encourage each of us to go and do a, a study on your own. It's just... Again, as I was preparing for this, how the Lord spoke to me and drew me up short. And I've become so uh, careful and more watchful over the things that I say. 
So James then challenges us that unless we submit our tongues and our lives by faith to God, that our tongues will never be tamed. So what James wants us to do is he wants to change our tongues from some of the things that we just read about, the destructive nature, to instruments of healing, help, and encouragement. So what's the big idea? The big idea for today is that no one can tame the tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. My brethren, this should not be. And it's very interesting that James just leaves it there too. This should not be. Okay, James, what should it be? And that'll be some of the things we'll talk about today. You know, how often do we say things that we wish we could simply take back? It's the areas or times where our tongues just kind of got ahead of us. You know, the, the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 141, verse 3, he says, help me, Lord, to keep my mouth shut and my lips sealed. Help me to keep my mouth shut and my lips sealed. You know, that's one of the easiest things for us to pray, right? Is, Lord, just help me keep my mouth shut. But there's so much that gets in the way. A lot of times we don't get there, do we, to that prayer. You know, our words are like arrows that are released from a bow. Once you let go of the string, you can't get that arrow back. I know I, I wish on some words that I've spoken that there was actually a rope or a string attached to them so that after I spoke them, I could pull them back. I want you to try something when you get home tonight. I trust each of you brushes your teeth before you go to bed. When you get the tube of toothpaste, squeeze it, and then try to put the toothpaste back in. It's the same thing with our mouths. Once the words come out, they just will not go back in. So I'd like to talk a little bit and share with you some tongue facts that James, uh, and these are, I'll call them spiritual tongue facts that James shares with us. And the first one is about the tongue, although it's a very small member, is disproportionately powerful. So what do we mean by that? It's one of the smallest members of our body. It weighs about three ounces or so, but it can wield such disproportionate power over ourselves and others, affecting the course and direction of our lives and impact on a, a far deeper level than what we realize. It carries such massive influence over our homes, our families, our marriages, our children, the people around us, and even the world in which we live. So James, he really wants to drive this point home for us, and he gives illustrations and metaphors and analogies trying to help us understand the power of the tongue, what the tongue can do, and, and, and try to make it make more sense to us through these analogies. So James tells us that the tongue, one of the ways he describes it, is a bit or a bridle that it controls or directs power. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever ridden horses or have ever put tackle on horses before. Um, I, I have, and I'll, I'll tell you the story. It's just amazing. One of, one of the things that James describes of the power of the tongue and how it can lead us around is when you put a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, a bit is about a five-inch piece of steel, right? It's about that long. 
And when you go to put it into the horse's mouth, you actually slide it. And interestingly, it sits on top of its tongue. So once we put the tackle, the, and the bit is actually part of the bridle and the reins, right, that we put on, you've seen this before on a horse's head. You can take those little thin straps of leather and you can pull around a 1,500, 2,000 pound horse and it will go wherever you pull it. I had the good fortune uh, when I attended Dutchess Community College some years ago, uh, sat with the advisor, wanted to know what did I want to take for gym class. I said, do you want to weight lift? No. Do you want to run track? No. Do you want to play softball? No. No. And then he said, well, you know, for $48, you can take this horsemanship class. I said, I'll do it. So we go up to this place called Roseview Farms. It's up near Hyde Park. And that was my class. Actually got in my car, went over to Roseview Farms. Now they had a, you know, a, a number of horses that were there. And some horses, if you know anything about horses, they have different temperaments. They're a lot like people, different personalities. And there was this one horse that everybody wanted to get. His name was Frank. Frank was just a great, gentle horse. Everybody wanted, especially me. If he showed up late, you got Toby. Toby was a demon horse. He was this huge stallion, and he just did not like students, I think. And you would, I'd get in the stall with him, and one of our jobs was to actually put the, the tackle on the horse. We had to put the, the, the reins on, the harness, and the bridle. We had to put the saddle on. And if you got between the horse and the side of the stall, he would actually try to crush you. Oh, yeah, nice. Just kind of like lean into you a little bit. But once you got that bit in his mouth, he'd calm right down. And this huge rippling stallion and I was a scrawny little student with these thin leather reins could lead that horse around. So I, this is what James is saying that our tongues are like, how it can lead our lives, lead the course of our lives, affect our families. And he's the power of the word, the power of the bit on our lives, right? On our tongues, how our tongues are like that to, to, to guide and direct and to control so there's so much power in our words there's words that can tear down and destroy we know these ones like i can't stand you i hate you how could you be so stupid i don't like you anymore don't ever call me again you will never amount to anything i know this is so sensitive because these are words that we've heard and these are just words, but the power that is wielded over us or on us or by us on others. This is what James is talking about, right? You feel that when I say that. It's like, oh, you cringe. But then there's words that uplift. I love you. I believe in you. I'm thinking about you. I'm so proud of you. You can do this. You got this. And you feel life. You feel that. It's just that power. We're talking about teachers. And all of us have been taught, been in school. And I can recount a time back in seventh grade, I had a teacher. She was a grandmotherly type figure. And she was just, you know, we just had such a nice relationship. She gave us assignment. 
write a short story. Went home and I wrote a short story. Turned it in. I gave it my best because I wanted to please her. So it's time to pick up the grades, right? Pick up the papers. I look. I got an F. So, oh, man, you know, it's bad. So on my way out of the classroom, I said, do you have a minute to talk about my grade? Yeah. She says, sit down. I said, I can't understand why I got F. There, there was no other comments on the paper. You know, no, none of the red, you did this wrong, or punctuation, spelling. F. She looked at me and she said, you didn't write that. I said, but, but I did. She goes, no, you're lying. I said, no, no I'm sorry, I, I did write that. She goes, there's no way possible you could have written that. Now, I, you know, I know I told my mom, right, seventh grade, right, you're 12 years old. I'm sure mom called. I don't think my F ever got changed. But, and thank God, Jesus, who heals things like that, right, when we come to him. But I just remember, even here I am, an older man. And how many of us sitting here have gone through similar experiences? And we look like this. But we remember when we were 12 years old. We remember when we were four years old. And this person said this to us. The power of our words. There's a poem or, that's written by an author, Margaret Schumann, that says, that words can poison, words can heal, words start and fight wars, but words make peace. Words lead men to the pinnacles of good, and words can plunge men to the depths of evil. The power of our words, how our tongue controls and directs power. James also tells us that the tongue is a rudder, or it's directional that it provides direction for our life, like the rudder of a ship, is the analogy he draws. Without a rudder, a ship cannot reach its destination. So also our tongues guide us and guide our lives and influence the direction of our lives and others. The interesting thing, you think about a rudder, and at the time that James wrote this, it was predominantly sailboats or rowing ships. Rudder sits in the back of the ship, right? That's what what steers the ship, gives it direction, right? They have sails and the wind blows against the sails, but it's that rudder that gives the ship direction. Now we have these huge ships, right? Carriers, destroyers. If you've been on a cruise ship, you look and that thing is just so long. There's such a distance between the rudder in the very rear of the ship and the bow, the very point of the ship. And doesn't matter how powerful those engines are, that cruise ship, that, any of those ships, will not reach its destination unless the rudder guides it there. So you think about how far that distance between the rudder at the rear and the bow, there's quite a distance. And, and the bow of the ship arrives, it's ahead of the rudder. And I'm thinking about this as preparing this message, and it made me wonder... The words that I speak today, if my tongue is a rudder, can they have an impact on the future of my life that's so far in front of me, just like the rudder of a ship has on the bow of the ship? How powerful and how directional are our words? There's an example from Scripture I'd like to share with you. I'm just going to give you a little paraphrase. 
how an 11-day journey, approximately 38 miles, becomes a 40-year excursion for the Israelites, resulting from complaining against God. And if you're taking notes, you can find this in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 and Deuteronomy chapter 1. So a little paraphrase version, the cliff notes. So, there's, so this is when the Israelites, God promises them, you're gonna, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey. And 12 scouts, one from each tribe, they all go out and they explore the land and explore it for 40 days. Of the 12, only two come back and give a, a good report. So the 10 kind of incite the whole nation of Israel and they start complaining and, and they even threaten to stone the two spies who came back with the good report. That's Joshua and Caleb. God takes their complaining personally, even though they were complaining against Aaron and Moses, Joshua and Caleb, God takes it personally. And he says to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs I performed? And then God threatens to cause the diseases to fall on them, the Israelites, and that he would make a mightier nation of Moses alone. But Moses intercedes. He says, please, God, no, don't do that. And God relents and he spares uh, he spares the Israelites, but what he does do to punish them for complaining, using their words, is that for every day that the spies were spying out the land, the Israelites wandered in the desert. This set, their words set a direction for an entire generation. So James goes on and he talks to us and he says, You know, the tongue is a spark, it's a small fire. And all of us, you know, there's fires that are blazing right now over in California, some of the Pacific Northwest. And it's just amazing every year how many millions of acres of forest are devastated because of a spark, a cigarette butt, a campfire that wasn't put out totally. And it just scars acres and acres of property, forest, just wipes it bare for decades, right? So our words are compared to this. Just a little jab or a comment, an insensitive little poke, maybe a flippant jest or a not well thought out opinion can produce ruinous, hurtful results, scarring those it touches as the fire does its, the forest. And the thing with, a, with these fires is that it starts one place. The fire starts here but then it can spread for hundreds of miles. You think about that, especially in this age. James is talking about this some 2,000 years ago. Think about now with all the technology we have. About 25 years ago, a guy at work wanted to see how long it took for his email to go, around the comp to go through the company and around the world. It took 24 hours. With the technology we have today, we can send something that goes around the world in seconds. Seconds. So think about this little spark and how it can spread so fast and affect so many people. You know, our tongue has been a problem ever since the day we were born to the point where God even puts these little sentinels, watchmen, around our tongue club teeth. And isn't it amazing that he even causes our teeth to start growing about the same time we start saying words? And as soon as our kids could talk, maybe if you have children too, I mean, words like, no, mine, right? You, you hear these words that 
just come out of this little child. It's like, ah, how can there be such ugliness in there? Well, it's the sin nature that's coming out. And then as they grow a little older, we hear things like, I hate you, or leave me alone. Painful. And I know we don't intentionally teach our kids this, and we don't have to. It's the sin nature, right? And it's the effects of the world in which they're growing up in. James also tells us that our tongue is twisted. And that's in James 3, 9 through 12. We're going to read that. It says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. It continues, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? So if we could just step back one one slide here. I want to point something out. You see this here? Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This cursing doesn't mean profanity. Jesus talks about this cursing back in Matthew chapter 5. And he says, if you call your brother racha, empty head, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So this isn't even touching profanity. This is light words that come from inside of us to disparage somebody. So, we flip down. Let's go to the next one, please. Yeah, that's good. So, a lot of us are growing gardens this time of year. And if you were to go out to your garden and say you're growing tomatoes, you wouldn't expect to pull a potato off of that. Or if you were growing stalks of corn, you're not going to peel that open and find beans, right? So what, what James is saying here is that, you know, we have to think of the very words that we're speaking today, maybe even on our way here, and then coming together in this gathering to sing praises to God. And so here's the twistedness, right? He's talking about our tongues being twisted. Potatoes, tomatoes, no, it, it, it is, doesn't happen. Why do we have praises and cursing coming off of our tongues? And he says, where we can bless and curse and, and, off, and offer words of kindness or encouragement, and then we can speak gossiping words of hate and destruction. So, you know, on your way here tonight, or even your day, you think of things maybe you said that you wished you hadn't, and then we come here tonight and we worship our Lord and Savior. This is exactly what James is talking about, right? The twistedness of our tongues. The Apostle Paul instructs us, tries to help us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 31, where he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And it continues, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And continues to say, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. He continues. Nope, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go back. There's no continuation on that. Now, the thing that caught me about this verse is not only some instructions about what to get rid of, right? But also what to do. But you see, sandwiched in between there, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know that we grieve the Holy Spirit? 
when we have any bitterness, rage, anger, slander, we grieve the heart of God through our speech. James tells us this ought not to be. My question for us is, do we really want to give the, de- the devil airtime with our mouths? I don't think so. James goes on also here to say the tongue is humanly untamable. So this is a deep, pa- uh, deep truth in this passage. James chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Where it says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. So we've all have been, either been to circuses or seen circuses or been to SeaWorld, right? Watch TV. Amazing what people do and how we can train animals. The things that, even to, to go against their instinct to jump through hoops of fire. But we can't tame our own tongues. It's humanly untamable. There's even, a, go on YouTube, it'll crack you up. There's an iguana named Buddy, comes to his name. We can train a lizard, but we can't tame our own tongues. So, while the bad news is, is that the tongue is not humanly tameable, God is here to help. His Holy Spirit is available to help tame our tongues. If you look to the right source, we can get help for what to say. So let's talk about taming the tongue. Let me try to offer you three helpful steps in taming the tongue. First, pause. Pause. We can find an appropriate scripture here in James 1.19 that Dr. Gray covered some weeks ago. Understand this, my Beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense, and to get angry. Slow down. Take a breath. Chill out. He's saying, you know, just hold our tongues. You know, sometimes it's best not to say anything at all. There's a a fairly famous quote by Abraham Lincoln that says, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. You want to appear wiser? I do. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Right? So sometimes, again, it's just chilling out and waiting until we're spiritually ready to give an answer that honors God. And sometimes, like, at work, you might get that email or you'll get that text. And it's something you just feel it inside, right? Mm. And you get on here and you want to send a response right back. Don't. Save it in draft. Get back to it later. Sleep on it. Let it wait. If it can't wait because somebody needs an urgent decision and the tone and text of that is so sharp, before you send yours back, let a colleague, a trusted colleague read it. That's a Christian, if you can find one. Otherwise, sleep on it. It's not worth that spark of a fire that James talked to us about. So we need to give our minds a chance to catch up with our mouths. And then we can respond appropriately that brings the best outcome and honors God. Proverbs 15.1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
I never looked at this this way until I was preparing for this message. See, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Well, what was the comment that came that we're trying to provide a gentle answer for? It was one that came to us in wrath. So we've got to turn that away. James says, give a a gentle answer. Better to disarm with kindness than to escalate with sparring words. The best time to hold our tongues is the time when you feel like you must say something or bust. So, we need to pause. Now we need to ponder. So let me give you something here to think about. And it's think before you speak, and it's an acrostic. So first, T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? So I think if we think before we speak, and we remember, let's, if, if we're going to answer, and we've got a check mark next to this, you go ahead and provide that answer. The important thing is that we need to recognize that the issue lies within our hearts, which is our mind, our will, and emotions. You know, when I worked at IBM, I used to be a programmer and, uh, many years ago. And one of the things that, you know, people would come to us, they'd bring us a request, and we'd write up the code, get, test it, give it back to them. And in, invariably, or inevitably, they would come back and they'd say, there's a problem with your code. Why? Well, because look what's coming out in my reports. It's wrong. Well, we do some troubleshooting and analysis, and we find out the problem is with not with the code, it's with the data they put in. They're putting bad data in. And so we came up with this, uh, it's like a slogan, and I'm sure you've all heard it, garbage in, garbage out, right? So whatever we put in is what comes out. The same thing is about our mouths. Our mouths is simply the opening that vents whatever's in the heart. If there's raw sewage in our hearts, guess what? There's going to be raw sewage coming out of our mouths. And we can see this even in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, where it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's a connection right there, right, between the heart and the mouth. But Jesus wants to redeem our tongues and speech for his glory to the benefit of others and of ourselves. And so our, our prayer should be as King David's in the Psalms, where he cries out in Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So, you know, we need to take personal responsibility for what we put into our hearts. So if we don't want garbage in there, is there anything in the Bible that can tell us, you know, what should we be chewing on? What should we be putting down in our hearts? We can find that. The Apostle Paul wrote it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Here it is. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, things are noble, just, things are pure, lovely, good report. If there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Dr. Greg talked about what that meditate is. Meditate means. It's like what, what a, a cow does. They have multiple stomachs, and they'll eat grass, and they'll chew it, and they'll swallow it. It goes into the first stomach. They bring it back up, and they chew on it some more. They swallow it again, and they keep doing it. Let's meditate. So think about it, folks. If we can be thinking of these things, and we're putting this into our hearts, guess what's going to come out of us? Beautiful, kindness, uplifting, inspiring words. Words that affirm folks. If we cultivate an attitude of gratitude, we'll grow a crop of thankfulness. 
I'm going to go through some of these things, just a, a perspective. I don't have time for them all. You hate your job? Be glad you have a job and an income. Do you hate your house? Is it too big, too small? Be glad you have a home that you live in. Is the traffic getting to you? Be thankful that you have a car and a mode of transportation. Is it too hot? Just wait a little while. You'll be shoveling snow. Is it too cold? No worries. Pretty soon you'll be sweating bullets. Too rainy? Hopefully our wells won't go dry and we won't have to water our flowers. Is it too dry? Perhaps the grass will go dormant. I won't have to mow it weekly. This one by Anonymous I like. says, I stopped complaining I had no shoes when I passed a man who had no feet. So Paul encourages us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. says, no matter what happens, be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So we have pause, we have ponder, and now we need to pray. James challenges us with introspection by asking a rhetorical question, saying, does a fountain send out, both, send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? We need to pray to God and ask him to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to make our hearts right, as King David did in Psalm 51, verse 10, where he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. If we want to transform our heart, transform our tongue, our words, our texting, our emails, our blogging. We need God's help to transform and to heal our hearts. Whatever bitterness or impurity that's in our hearts, the fountain source, as James calls it, must be sweetened because there's bitterness in there. And we can look to God to do that for us as God did for the Israelites with the waters that were at Marah. Now let me set this up for you a little bit. What had happened was they had just crossed the Red Sea. Moses leading the Israelites. Just crossed the Red Sea. They went through a desert for about three days. They're parched and thirsty. There's an oasis full of promise. They get to the oasis and they go to drink the water. It's bitter. It's bitter. And that's where the, the name comes from. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, he, Moses, and the Lord showed him a tree which he cast into the waters and the waters were made sweet. Isn't it interesting that God did not show Moses a rock? Moses did not put his staff into the water. The reference to the tree here is not incidental. The tree is obviously the instrument of God's healing of bitter waters. Later in this same chapter, God reveals himself to the Israelites as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, their healer, which literally means the Lord who makes bitter things sweet. 1,400 years later, wood in the form of a cross would become an instrument of healing for our hearts. Jesus drank the bitter waters on the cross. He endured the bitter wrath of God he tasted the bitterness of death that we might know the sweetness of forgiveness of sins, the sweetness of being his children, the sweetness of communion with the Father. Through Jesus, God has made provision to heal bitterness and everything associated with it that we might harbor in our hearts. We need to repent and ask for his forgiveness and to receive by faith healing 
those heart issues so that we might grow more mature spiritually as his sons and daughters. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for helping us by transforming our lives by the power of the cross. Lord, help me in my response to others to spiritually bite my tongue and by your Holy Spirit to keep my mouth shut when best. Lord, help us to pause, help us to ponder, help us to pray that our words would be pleasing to you and a blessing to others. We thank you, God, that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you for healing our hearts and removing all bitterness from us. And for those who are here today that sense God has been speaking to their hearts who have not yet started a relationship with him, you can follow me in this prayer saying, God, I believe you sent your son Jesus who lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death on the cross on my behalf for my sins. I am sorry for my sins and turn from them. I receive Jesus as my Savior and surrender my life to you. Thank you for accepting me as your child. Amen.